ultimate reward for Christians is spending eternity with the Savior. So why will believers receive additional rewards in heaven? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah answers that question with insights from God's Word while clearing up some common misunderstandings along the way. From the series, Signs, here's David to introduce today's thought-provoking message, Heaven's Oscars. And friends, thank you for joining us today. We're in the midst of a series called 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, based on a book that I wrote several years ago, putting together all of these thematic studies. That book is 460 pages in length. You still get that book from davidjeremiah.org, and I, I would recommend that you do it. I hope you will do it. Today, we're going to talk about um, getting rewards in heaven. And I was thinking about when I was growing up uh, playing basketball, and we'd go to a tournament, and they would announce the all-tournament team and sometimes uh, a most valuable player. I remember getting some of those awards back then and really being excited about it. And then two or three weeks later, I couldn't even remember what it was all about. And today, I couldn't tell you anything about them. One day we're going to get some rewards that will be for eternity. And the Bible tells us a lot about that. You may be among those who think we shouldn't be getting rewards for being Christians, but you're going to have to argue with Jesus because he's the one who tells us about it. It's also in the books by the apostles. We'll trace them all. Five different awards available for people who go to heaven. We've called this Heaven's Oscars. Say, we have a study guide for this series. It's just one of three because this is a three-month series. It started in uh, March. We're in the month of April, and it concludes at the end of May. And you can get all three study guides that take you through every one of these discussions of Bible prophecy. You get these from davidjeremiah.org. Go to that website, and you'll see all this material. You can order your copies today. I hope you will do it. Right now, let's get started. This is part one of Heaven's Oscars. We have been talking about heaven. We've talked about what we're going to be like when we get there and what it's going to be like to have body like Jesus had after his resurrection. I want to talk with you about one of the first things that's going to happen once we arrive. Within the last few years, most of you have noticed that awards ceremonies are out of kilter. You know, I did some homework this week and I found there are at least 42 of them. There are enough award ceremonies to watch one almost every week of the year, and I don't get all of them. We have Academy Awards, and we have Choice Awards, and Prism Awards, and Screen Actors Guild Awards, and Country Music Awards, and Grammy Awards, and Soap Opera Digest Awards. It seems as if we're into awards. But there's an award day coming, and there are Oscars to be given out like the world has never, ever dreamed of. I need to tell you that when we talk about rewards in heaven, a lot of people get a little nervous because there's this mentality that a lot of folks have that if you're living for God out of the love for your heart, why would you want any award? Why would you need a reward? They say something like, well, you know, if you give an award to someone for good works as a Christian, that's like trying to get your children to be good by offering them candy, which they view as an inferior strategy. Some people say we should not be lured into goodness by promises of a bonus, for goodness is its own reward. While that argument sounds logical and spiritual, it is entirely out of harmony with what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible never defends the concept of rewards. The idea is accepted as if it is the most natural and normal thing for us to expect. Not only was this idea accepted, but it was at the very core of the growth of the early church. The historian Gibbon traces the rapid progress of Christianity throughout Rome, and he uses his analysis to isolate five reasons why the church grew so rapidly in its early days. And here they are. The zeal of the early Christian, the power of miracles, the pure morals of the Christians, the compact church organization, and the belief in future rewards and future punishment. As you read through the Bible, starting even in the Old Testament, you discover that rewards is a common theme. And as you read the Bible with that in mind, things start jumping off the page everywhere you go. Starts in the Old Testament in places like Psalm 58:11 that says, so that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. Or Psalm 62, 12, also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. When you come to the New Testament, the New Testament opens with the Lord's promise of rewards in the Beatitudes. You remember this passage in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When you go all the way through the New Testament and you come to the last book in the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. And throughout the entire New Testament, rewards are assumed to be a part of the Christian's future experience. Hebrews 6, 10 says that God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. Luke 18, 29, and 30 says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Mark 9, 41 says, For whoever gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Mark 10, 29 and 30 says, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake, now watch this, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I don't know about you, but I haven't found any place where I can get a hundredfold on any investment I make. But when you serve the Lord, he tells you right out in the scripture that he rewards you not only in this life, but in the life to come. Now let's talk about how this is going to happen. First of all, let's look at the day of heaven's rewards. The Bible tells us that after the church, all of the believers are taken to heaven by the rapture or resurrection. Individual believers will be judged for their works as Christians and special rewards will be handed out. This is the clear teaching of the Word of God that even though we have been saved from our sin 
One day, you and I are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, sometimes referred to as the Bema seat, and the Lord is going to judge us for our conduct and for our work as a believer. Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's speaking to believers. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Knowing that whatever good thing each one of us does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15 tells us, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Now at that day we call judgment day, Jesus Christ will see through all of our posturing and all of our spinning of who we are and what we do. He will see into our heart for the motives, for the reasons why we do what we do. He will get past all the exterior things that we want others to see, and he will see us, and he does now. Notice Paul says that everyone's work will become clear. There will be no second guessing on any awards. So on that day, the judgment day, the day of heaven's Oscars, the day of heaven's Academy Awards, we are going to one by one be judged by the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat, not for our salvation. We're going to be judged for what we have done as believers between the moment of our salvation and when we ultimately stand before him. Let's notice, secondly, the distinction of heaven's awards. I want to tell you a couple of things that it is not, just so you don't get any confusion here. The judgment seat of Christ is not the final exam for heaven. Now, a lot of people think that one day you're going to stand before God in heaven's vestibule, and he's going to judge you for all of your works. If you've done enough good works, you'll get in. If you haven't done enough good works, you won't. That is an absolute error, because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that we who are Christians who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior will never again face our sin. It is forever behind us, and it is over. Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 John 2.12 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just explain this again. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. His blood covered it all, paid the debt for it all. You will never again have to stand before God and give an answer for your sin. Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. Somebody asked me, well, 
What about my future sins? I know that when I got saved, he took care of all my past sins. But what about all the sins I'm going to sin before I get to heaven? And I always like to ask him this question. How many of your sins were future when Jesus died for them on the cross? All of them. And God doesn't look at time the way we do. He paid for your sins. Are you with me on that? So you get to heaven, you're not going to have to stand before the judge and give an account for your sin. The judgment seat of Christ is a place where you will be rewarded for your service to the Lord Jesus in your Christian experience. And one of the most asked questions that I get about this is, how can someone have his sins forgiven and still have to have his works reviewed at the judgment seat of Christ? The answer is found in this fact that forgiveness is about justification. And rewards are for the works which the justified have done in their flesh after their justification took place. These are not works which are done in order to be saved. These are works that are done because we are saved. In other words, when you become a Christian, you don't just go into limbo. You don't just, you know, get into some sort of a fog until Jesus comes back. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, that by the grace of God, we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it says in the next verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them. No, we're not saved by good works. We're saved for the purpose of doing good works. So that after we become Christians, we're to let our light so shine that men will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. This idea that because we're not saved by good works, that we should not ever do any good works is seemingly going on in the church these days because George Barnes says, you can't tell any difference between the people in the church and the people out of the church. Maybe they've just believed this deceitful thing that if you're saved by faith, and you don't have to do any good works to be saved, that after you get saved, you shouldn't do any good works either. Because I know a lot of people that get saved and they just float. (laughs) They go nowhere. Well, one day they're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for their lives on this earth. That is the distinction. It is not a final exam. Our eternal destination, according to Bruce Wilkinson, is the consequence of what we believe on earth. Our eternal compensation is the consequence of how we behave on earth. One is behavior and the other is belief. And you know, there are a lot of examples in the Bible, very interesting. People who started out walking for the Lord and blew it, made big, big mess out of their life, even though they were continuing to be Christians. Go through the scripture and you'll see it. Lot and Samson, Saul, Ananias and Sapphira. They started out right. They were Christians all right, but after they became Christians, they just violated the things that were true and and suffered some pretty awful consequences. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not about whether you're going to get in heaven or not. You'll already be there. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be about how have I lived my life as a believer? What kind of a steward have I been for the gifts that God has entrusted to me? And it won't be a time for you to bring formal accusations against other believers. That's a strange thing, isn't it? The judgment seat of Christ is when I finally get to nail that guy, you know? Listen to me. All believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each of us giving an account of himself to God. We have no right to judge the work of other believers. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says that we don't even know what rewards we will receive for ourselves. How in the world are we going to judge someone else? 
1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes and will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. That's how it'll work. So are we together now? Here's what's going to happen. We're either going to be alive when Jesus comes and be caught up, or we're going to be dead. Our bodies will be in the grave. We'll already be with Jesus in our spirit, and our grave will open. We'll go up to be with the Lord. And as soon as we get to heaven, while the tribulation is going on down here on this earth, we each one are going to have our moment before the Lord for him to say to us, hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I want to happen to me. Amen? Now, Interestingly enough, in the Bible, there are some Oscars described for us. There are at least five of them, and I want to just run through these so you can see what some of the possibilities are. And this is not by any means all of the awards that are going to be given. But there are five crowns that are listed in the New Testament for certain things, and it might surprise you some of the things that the Lord is going to reward when we stand before him someday. Number one, there's the victor's crown. It is recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 9. 25 through 27. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now let me give you a little background and history to this experience that Paul writes about here in 1 Corinthians. Listen up. The Greeks had two athletic festivals, the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were held at Corinth and would therefore be very familiar to those who were reading Paul's letter here. Contestants in the Games had to prove rigorous training for 10 months. The last month was spent at Corinth with supervised daily workouts in the gymnasium and athletic fields. The race was always a major attraction at the games, and that is the figure Paul uses to illustrate the faithful Christian life. Those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize, he says. No one would train so hard for so long without intending to win. Yet out of the large number of runners, only one wins. The prize indicates that the apostle had in mind service and rewards, not salvation and life. Paul's point is that athletes who expect to win must train diligently. But Isthmian athletes discipline themselves to win an insignificant prize. How much more ought Christians to win an incorruptible, an unperishing prize? The thought, of course, is that of personal discipline. Walking with God demands personal sacrifice. Sacrifice of things not necessarily evil, but which prevent the full devotion of our soul to God. In an age of luxury like the time in which we live, the words have real significance for serious-minded servants of Christ. If you want to win an award, if you want to be standing there receiving a crown, you're going to have to say no to some things so that you can say yes to some other things. You can't live this pleasure-gorged life that we have taught ourselves is normal in our culture today. You have to learn how to turn off the television sometimes so you can study to prepare your lesson You have to learn how to get up when you don't feel like getting up in the morning so you can get into the Word of God and be ready for the day. You have to take time away from all the things that you want to do so you can get the Scripture in your heart. You've got to take a night out of your week once in a while and go talk to somebody about Jesus. All of this is hard, and it takes discipline. And the Bible says that a person who won't do that can't be a candidate for this award. This award is given to those 
who discipline their body as Paul did, who keep their body under control, and they become candidates for the victor's crown. Most people, including many Christians, are slaves to their bodies. Have you noticed that? Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies decide what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep, when to get up, and so on. An athlete cannot allow that. He follows the training rules, not his body. He runs when he would rather be resting. He eats a balanced meal when he would rather have a chocolate sundae. He goes to bed when he would rather stay up. He gets up early to train when he'd rather stay in bed. An athlete leads his body and does not follow it. It is his slave, not the other way around. It is this kind of soldier that the victor's crown will be given. So some of you are saying, well, take me off that list. <laughs> take me off that list. You had five waffles, four sausages, and two pieces of bacon for breakfast, right? No, I'm just kidding you. All of us need to learn this. And do we not all struggle with this? Every one of us. We want to be servants that the Lord can use, and it takes a certain amount of discipline in our life. And the Bible doesn't say we have to be perfect at this, but we have to be in training. Are you in training? Are you in training to serve the Lord? Are you trying to ask the Lord to help you become a better servant? God honors your heart in this matter. Then there's the crown of rejoicing. That's the second one. And you find that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. This is what it says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Paul asks the Thessalonians this question. He says, what is our crown of rejoicing? And then he answers it in the next phrase. He said, it is even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. What is he talking about? He's saying that the crown of rejoicing is the crown you get because you led someone to Christ. He said, Thessalonians, let me tell you what the crown of rejoicing is. It's you because we ministered to you. And someday when we stand before the Lord, you're going to be there because we had a ministry to you. Sometimes it's called the soul winner's crown. It's the crown that Almighty God gives to us when we get out of ourselves and we stop thinking it's all about me and we start looking around for the people who need a touch from God and we use the talent and the giftedness he's given us to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you ever talked to someone about Jesus who wasn't a Christian? Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you even thought about doing that? Well, we have some people in this church who they're just witnesses. They just talk to people all the time about Jesus. And they're candidates for the crown of rejoicing. Paul's love for these Thessalonians is very emotional. He calls them his joy, his hope, and his crown. And the crown is sometimes the soul winner's crown. Hmm. Well, I, I can tell you that when I first got a hold of the information about the rewards in heaven, it was very motivating to me. I know there's one reward just for pastors. So I'm in the running for that, and I want to do my very best, not so I can get a reward, because as you know, when we get these crowns, we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. What a privilege that will be. I'd hate to be empty-handed when that moment comes. I don't want to just be in the crowd when everybody else is casting their crowns before him. I want to be there with something to offer him as well. And uh, I hope you feel the same way. We have more information about all this tomorrow on part two of Heaven's Oscars on Thursday. 
we're going to talk about worship in heaven. And then on Friday, we'll have a message to prepare our hearts for Easter. One of my favorite studies of the resurrection called the seven signs of Easter. So we have a wonderful week ahead of us. I know you're getting ready for Easter as we all are and uh, looking forward to great crowds of people coming to worship the Lord and rejoice in the risen Savior. Well, uh, we are so thankful that you join us uh, as you have today. We want to let you know that there's a special resource for this month that you may like to have. It's a book called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Um, You will discover the meaning of numbers in the prophetic scriptures, and it's put together in a very attractive and easy-to-read booklet. even has a chart in it. You will learn what each of the numbers means, but you'll also discover where each number fits into God's timeline. This is just another little way to look at prophecy during this three-month series of prophetic studies. You can send your gift and ask for the book, and we'll send it right to you to say thank you. Thank you for your gift and for your generosity. We'll use it, I promise you, to tell this to more people than ever before. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Would you like to own a $50,000 car? Just buy a $30,000 car with a six-year loan, 
I know interest rates are low right now, so my math may not be exactly correct, but you get the point. Debt is expensive. I'm not saying that we should never borrow money for any reason, but I will say what the Bible says. In Proverbs, it says that the borrower becomes the slave of the lender. And the Apostle Paul advised not to owe anyone anything except the debt of love. If we do decide to borrow money, we must be careful to count the cost. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's principles of finance on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.